I think if, if you've watched the American TV show Silicon Valley, I think there's a big running joke about the refrigerator being the center of bad things happening. So there's a lot of crude humor that goes along with that. I think through that research, what I was curious about was, and where the impetus behind it was, you know, historically, maybe 10, 20 years ago, there were really only like two or three places where you could actually take a credit card, a debit card, or some type of payment device and, and buy something. It was physically at a store, it was over the phone, or it was through the mail. 1990s, then you had the emergence of the internet, and it kind of stayed there for a little while. That, that was kind of the extent of it. And then, you know, within the past 10 years or so, you have this explosion of, of various places where your payment credentials are being held. And I think the general public around the world, pretty good handle on where that was, you know, so if you fly British Airways, you fly United Airlines, maybe they stored your card. If you had an Amazon Prime subscription, they, they probably stored your card. And people started to have a general idea of where is my payment information stored and what where can it be used? And you have the gig economy and you have the expansion of subscription services that have really you know, exploded in the past 10 years. And all of a sudden, your payment credentials are existing in a, a myriad of different places. Now, card issuing banks have a a pretty good handle on being able to control that. They they can control card on file purchases and they can they can look for unauthorized activity. But it really then becomes the the payment vehicle. What how many different payment vehicles do we have now? And that's what was the start of this research to see, you know, the Internet of Things. What what are of those devices, what are dumb devices that can't do anything? What are the ones that are a a gateway to another payment service and being able to initiate a payment and what are the things that can actually buy stuff on their own? And as a consumer, do I have control over that? So my own home, you know, just out of curiosity and being somewhat of a, a technophile. So I'm going to go into my own router and I'm going to see how many things are connected to it. And at one point, you know, with, with a wife and three kids, there were 32 different devices that were connected to my to my router, which was baffling to me. I'm like, do we actually have 32 things that can connect to the internet? No wonder your internet speed was so slow. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. So when you start deconstructing it, it it makes sense. You know, we had video game systems that my kids had. You know, we have mobile devices and much like every other house, you know, we had garage door openers and my dryer connected to the internet. But there's a range of capability now that these devices are, are expanding upon. So Ethica and my company, really handles a lot of what is considered to be friendly fraud, right? Uh, it's uh, unauthorized purchases. It's things that are purchased by accident or you have buyer's remorse. And in some rare cases, you have hostile activity where people are purposely trying to say that the shipment didn't show up at my house and I get free stuff. So we were looking at it in that context. There's a lot of companies out there that do an extraordinarily good job of the actual security of it. You know, the, can the device be hacked? Can the, you know, can it be taken over and used for a botnet and that sort of thing? That's not necessarily ethicus focus. It's really about the payment aspect of it. The anecdote that I use in that research is that it was a number of years ago, there was a, a girl in Texas, uh, who, a five-year-old girl, and she was talking to one of the speakers in her house, you know, one of these um, little, you know, Amazon or Google or one of those things. And she was talking to it and asking it questions. And the AI is so great in those things, you know, it can have almost a full on conversation with you. And the girl was talking about a dollhouse and eating cookies and things like that. And then two days later, you know, there was a shipment of a dollhouse for 170 US dollars that showed up at her front door and her parents thought it was absurd. And they deconstructed what had happened. And it was just simple conversation that the girl was having with the device that caused an order to come in. That's a perfect example of an unauthorized purchase and it being initiated. 
my own home, you know, I have three sons. To a degree, they're spoiled and they have a lot of access to video games. And I'm in the industry and I'm aware of it. But yet I still, every once in a while, get a $10 charge to Fortnite. I get, you know, a random one. I have to ask my sons, which one of you did this? I'll get, you know, my youngest son is seven years old and, you know, he's clicking through the smart TV and all of a sudden he started subscribing to a premium, uh, you know, like an HBO without me knowing about it. Things. And those, those are real problems that have to be solved by consumers. And they're, it, it's challenging to say the least. Well, let's be brutal. It's not a problem that's going to be solved by consumers because we, and I do mean we, are by and large dumb. It's something that the payments <laughs> yeah. industry is going to have to address, isn't it? Yes, individual people are smart. Groups of people are dumb, right? Isn't that the, the adage? That, uh, that's yes. the adage. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, so, you know, I, I will give the video game companies a, a tremendous amount of credit. They're, I, I think they're regulated in a number of ways because their primary users are so young that a lot of the government regulations oversee those things. But they've done an extraordinary job of trying to control those things. Ethica does business with Microsoft and Google and a handful of the other companies. We have an Xbox in our house. And the Microsoft tools to be able to control what my, what my sons are capable of doing are very, very good. But I would say, in large, beyond that, those controls, the joke that I always use is easy and secure, not necessarily friends. And much of these companies, because they're revenue-based and growth-based, they want to ship things out with the, you know, the least amount of friction. Uh, and a lot of times that comes at the expense of the payment controls, where you have various people that are in households or have access to those devices can use them. I come back to the point I was making, though. It's not just about the microsoft's the xbox providers somebody within the payments industry is going to have to think about this and of course they are thinking about it and mm -hmm. make sure that there is the right level of authentication there is the right level of permissioning within these devices that if they don't it's going to come back on them it's going to come back from the consumer to the consumer rights champions within governments who will then intervene to force payments providers to get this right. So mm -hmm. it's something the payments industry has to do. And if they can do it in a way that makes it, still makes, you, you mentioned easy and um, secure and not necessarily friends, but they ha if they make it easy and they make it secure, they're onto a winner. Yeah, that's true. You, you're probably a market leader if you're able to, to crack that. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring, I wholeheartedly agree with you about the, you know, there will be pressure put on the ecosystem in order to solve for that. So let's take, for example, uh, you know, a refrigerator or a dryer and the evolution of likely where that's going. So if I have a, um, a connected dryer in my house and I run out of dryer sheets, you know, it can reorder for me, uh, much like a printer reorders ink. My challenge back, and I'm curious about your thoughts, is who is the responsible party within that ecosystem? Is it the manufacturer of the device? Is it the brand? Visa, MasterCard, Amex, Discover, Carbon Care, whomever? Is it, is it the consumer? Is it the payment facilitator that might be the railway? Or is it the merchant? And I think there, there's probably conflicting opinion as to who would be the responsible party to make sure that those controls are in place. Well, in simplistic terms, of course, we started off talking about how things used to be in, and mostly still are, in terms of making credit card purchases. If you make a credit card purchase, both the credit card provider and the, the merchant are jointly 
liable if you have a problem as, as a consumer. And I suppose that by extension, it would be the same in terms of connected devices. But obviously, if it's a connected device, it's not just the merchant, it is the device provider, the device builder, who is also going to be responsible. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are, to some extent, in uncharted territory, and we are entering it very fast, because we've had a taste of what 21st century life is going to be towards the end of this century in lockdown with people working from home, people discovering, yeah, I can get by without going to the office. If I need to see somebody, I can speak to them over Zoom, over Microsoft Team, over Google Hangouts, whatever. Maybe I only need to go to the office one day a week. I don't need to face the rush hour traffic. I don't need to spend two hours a day getting to work and then two hours the other end of the day coming back. I can be more productive working from home where people can, of course. Mm -hmm. And that means we are going to rely on these devices. Yeah, I think you're, you're, you're spot on with your, with your analogy here. There's quite the Petri dish going on in the payment space um, of how people will behave long term. It's, you know, the concept of contactless. So I'm in the U.S., right? We've been very late to the game with a number of things in the payment industry, contactless being one of them, where, where is the next step of contactless? So in, uh, in my research, there's a number of companies that are trying to figure out how do, you, how do you use a car as a payment device? So there are companies that will do license plate scanners with an, a card on file to be able to drive through a fast food restaurant and pay for it. Well then with the car, the, car, the automobile as a, as a payment device, you now have the responsibility, you almost have to treat it as though it's like a credit card. So what happens when my 16-year-old with his driver's license takes his friends to McDonald's, you know, they, and buys $40 worth of food, you know, they, they, that's an unauthorized purchase. And there's a number of examples there where you're trying to distance the payment device and the human from being able to having to interact with an, of the human. And the coronavirus obviously has accelerated that to a great degree. But with that comes the uncertainty of what we're talking about, which is the security and the controls that would be placed upon the payments. Where does that responsibility lie? I would naturally say that a lot of it is the consumer. However, what is operationally difficult for a bank or a merchant is when the consumer does not want to take responsibility for it. And that's where the concept of this friendly fraud comes into play. Yeah, but has the consumer ever taken responsibility? No, no. You no, know, I'm always so in the UK. I'm always curious as to what happens. You know, you um, send a company into administration, well, the bank has to take all the responsibility for it. You know, the like a travel company or such. Uh, you know, the, in, across the world, there's a number of different regulations that are obviously consumer uh, friendly, and they should be. There's protection for people that don't completely understand it, but have to use the the payment devices. The difficulty now is across the world, and many of the uh, the markets, we've trained the consumers to be absolved of the responsibility and not, not, to, be, not, not to have ownership of it and accountability of it. And that, that can be difficult. Well, one of the reasons that was done, of course, is because it was a way of actually getting penetration into a market. You make it easy for people to do something, more of them will do it. Mm -hmm. Which just leaves me with the final question or final observation is how do we turn this round? How do we get to a situation where you have all your connected devices, but they don't make unauthorized purchases or your, your 
kids don't make unauthorized purchases. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Uh, if you could talk to them after we're done with this call, that would, would help me a great deal. I would say the research led us to a point, and I appreciate the question, is what ultimately wins the day is transparency and information being available to whomever needs it within the context of appropriate privacy. There's a number of banks, I would say market leader banks, that are really taking taking a point of view to say, we want to educate the consumer about where their card is being held. So we know of one major U.S. bank that is you know, giving customers an access, a, a list to say, these are all the places where your card is stored. You know, do, do you still approve of it? Do you still want your card number to be stored at this particular merchant that you might have used once six months ago? That's a good entry point to understand where is my where is my payment information actually being held, and do I want it to be held there? Beyond that, it's the transparency of what what are all these services capable of doing. So I have a Netflix subscription, as most people do around the world, but I know Netflix there's there's a limited amount of opportunity. You can't really you don't really rent movies from Netflix, and I know that they charge me every month. So the context and the transparency to say, if my card number is with this device or it's with this service that is connected to a device, what is it capable of doing? And can I control that? Do I have the option to allow those things to happen? So my example of video games is pretty good. I, I can set limits as to what those devices can do. But universally, that's that doesn't necessarily exist in every IoT device or every other place where a card payment is stored. So. To simply answer your question, it's transparency and information with appropriate privacy controls uh, put in place that educates consumer about what those things are capable of doing on their behalf. And in the meantime, my fridge can carry on ordering the beer. <laughs> yes, yes. As long as it orders the right beer, it's not necessarily a problem. But yes, in, in the meantime, it's I, my advice to anybody that would listen to your podcast would be, it's a worthwhile exercise to go into your router and, and look and see what's there and what are those things capable of doing and where are my payment credentials stored and is that the right thing to do and who, aside from me, that might be within my inner circle can also use those uh, payment credentials. It's a worthwhile and interesting exercise to, to just discover it, to see where all of your information is living and then explore how to control it and, and set expectations for the companies that you do business with in order to have that transparency and that access to the information.